Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited for today's guest. I think he is just such an important voice in healing um, wounded masculine energy, which is something that you and I have been talking about so much lately. He's such a, a beautiful, soulful person, and I'm just really excited to share him with our listeners. We just need more and more and more people like him. Like We just need to clone as many Corey Emanuels as we can. Corey, uh, we're going to clone you. Yes. Yep, that's the next, that's the next goal. Uh, you know, this idea, we speak a little bit about this in the interview, but this idea of representation, right? Like he's such an important piece. And, and I, and I, this is why I want to clone him. It's like, we're having these conversations about masculinity um, and, you know, the wounded masculine and the wounded feminine and the patriarchy and all these conversations. It's like, we just need more people like him who can speak to it as eloquently as he does mm. with such an inclusive nature, right? An inclusive tone. Um, there's just, zero shame, mm. right? Uh, everyone has a place, everyone has a voice and all those voices are represented and they matter. Um, it's just, he, he's doing really important work and I'm, I'm grateful that we're, we're bringing him to you all to listen. Yeah, it's interesting that you would speak to like just the embracing energy that you feel around him. Yeah. I don't know if you felt this as much as I did, but there is something like a deep exhale that you feel in his presence. Yeah. He has a really, really calming, soothing, calming. Yep. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And and you're right. I think that the way that he speaks to dynamics that are happening on a cultural level really um, is eye opening. And I, I I just think he's such an important voice right now. Yeah. Hope you enjoy. We're very excited today. Our guest is Dr. Corey Emanuel. And Corey Emanuel is a Los Angeles-based writer, producer, author, mentor, and thought influencer with a master's in communication and a PhD in media psychology, which we're totally going to dive into. He's the founder of Corey Emanuel Omnimedia, which is an LA-based full-service production company focused on publishing, consulting, and broadcasting media platforms as well as the founder of the social media movement, Men Talking Shift. Dr. Corey is passionately dedicated to using the vehicle of entertainment and media to tell stories that inform, inspire, educate, and promote self-actualization, which is like, Danae, my favorite thing ever. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I need to take you on the road with me, V. That was beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I'm, um, I'm a good hype girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like Vanessa and I are geeking out a little bit to meet you. We've been following Men Talking Shift for a while. I think um, one of our mutual friends, Brandon Alexander, that is sort of how we found you, I think, on social mm -hmm. media, um, you know, just speaks so highly of you. So thank you for coming. And um, Corey, will you just tell us a little bit about your background story, like where you grew up and your journey to get to the work that you do a little bit? Sure. So it kind of sounds like the, the beginning of a, a rap verse, but I am a black boy from Belton, South Carolina. All those bees thrown in there. Um, <laughs> population of like 4,000 people. So super small town. 
uh, went to a predominantly white um, undergrad. So the very the first 25 years of my life were all spent in South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, raised by a single mother. And I was just ready to spread my wings. I felt like I was limited in a lot of ways. I always had really big dreams. Um, you know, I had kind of one journalism contest growing up and had interned at like local news stations. And I was like, I feel like I've gotten everything I could get from this sort of South Carolina lived experience. And so um, after graduating, I thought for a while that I was just gonna be like your typical sales guy, salesman, um, and ended up getting an opportunity in educational publishing, which completely transformed my outlook and really Mm -hmm. sort of led me to this path of media psychology. Mm. Um, at the time when I was getting in educational publishing, things were changing. Like we were going from those traditional print um, experiences, textbook experiences that we all had in school and it, everything was going digital. And I was like, okay, there's an opportunity here. But as I would go and work in the schools and work with teachers, I was like, this is so much bigger than, oh, I'm going to my computer to do an assignment. Like mm-hmm. people's lives are being changed by this experience of working with technology. Like teachers aren't necessarily needed in the same way that they've always been needed. And how does that affect them emotionally? And then kids feeling like, okay, I kind of came into the world on a tablet. Mm. Um, And and so now how do I communicate fully, expressively, you know, articulating myself beyond just text messaging? Like I still need the, the sort of, you know, grassroots, Uh, you know, method of learning communication. So there were just so many things happening. And I felt like there was an opportunity for me to guide and Mm. sort of influence, you know, technology and media. Mm. And so that coupled with the love for television and film, I was like, I need to pursue not only just psychology and understanding human behavior, but specifically media, the media landscape. I love that so much. I love um, that you talk about it in terms of like working with and understanding how youth are experiencing the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love Gary Vaynerchuk. And I feel like he talks a lot about how, you know, adults villainize so much of the way that um, young people communicate and like they're like constantly being on social media and their tablets and whatever. And he's like, you know, if this were a different time period, you guys would be villainizing Elvis. This is like what it is right now. This is like the way that they interact. And so I Mm -hmm. feel like, um, like, can we stop villainizing it and just like really attempt to understand feels really fascinating to me. Absolutely. Well, and also partially they communicate that way because of the world we've created, Mm. by the way. Like we're the ones that made the world this way where like the only way that they have an ability to connect outside of school is through a tablet. Like kids don't play on the street anymore. Why is that? Because we're so crazy about like the kidnapping and the this and the that and the helicopter parenting that like we've changed the landscape for them. Yeah, right? I was just literally looking at a TikTok where the dad turned the Wi-Fi off. Mm. He has like four kids and they all pop out of their room like, dad, <laughs> is something wrong? Like what happened to the internet? And he did it purposefully because he's wow. like, I want human interaction with the people that I live with. You know, wow. you're, you're Vanessa. Yeah, we've made it. We've enabled it. That's totally. pretty profound, actually. Yeah. Wow. And so what do you what are your thoughts, Corey, on this um, 
on this thing of like kids don't go outside and play anymore yeah. like how do you think this is impacting this next well, generation? I think, I think like with everything balance mm. right you know like we we do live in a te- technology driven world so i think it's sort of delusional of us to think like we just should just take all the tablets away and return right. back to this grand old time that we used to have i think that's unrealistic but i do think it is our responsibility as parents and guardians to you know incite balance and, mm-hmm. and create an environment where you know perfect example during dinner time we're gonna put our phones away like you can spend 15 mm-hmm. 20 minutes <laughs> telling us about your day um us sort of connecting on it on a you know emotional level where you're away from your phone. But I think we, to your point, Vanessa, like we have to enable that as a norm too, right? Mm. I, I think that there just has to be better balance with that. Well, and enabling that too, you know, what's interesting when you say that, I'm thinking about how I, I was watching, I can't remember what mom psychologist it was the other day, but they were talking about screen time. And they were saying, you know, do you struggle with your kids in screen time and all this stuff? And one of the things she kind of retorted with was, well, how are you with your screen time? Mm because you can tell them until you're blue in the face about screen time, but if they see you on your phone 24 seven, then that's what they're gonna think is normal. And so then why are you telling me that it's different for me, but not different for you? My research um, has really been in the role model influence area Mm -hmm. Um, and parents and guardians, we are comprehensive role models, right? So they're, they're looking at what we do, what we say, like our entire lifestyle is influencing them. Right. And so that technology piece is critical. Right. Showing them how to, you know, particularly as we think about our mental health, right? You know, I think the pandemic was a great time for the family to observe one another because we were stuck with each other, right? Um, so I think that there we've, we've now got to come out of we had to be on our computers, right? That's how we learn, that's how we made a living. But now, how do we now transition into a lifestyle of more balance where outside is opening up now? So what does that look like as a family to not always be on our devices? I'm wondering too, with this idea of media psychology, because it's such a fascinating area to me, um, what do you feel like, your, I don't know if population is the right word, but with this background, right? With this, the research you've done, the understanding that you have, who do you feel like you're speaking to the most? Or like, what is, I guess, because it's a fascinating area, but then how do you take that fascinating thing that you research and get into and, you know, nerd out on and then translate it into like putting it out there in the world? Absolutely. The best way to sort of describe that is what you see from me on social media. Mm. So with media psychology, it is part of every field of psychology. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like the favorite cousin, if you will. <laughs> so, you know, I tell people that me personally, I had to kind of choose a focus, which for me is very much mental health, masculinity, and then also youth development, because those are just arenas that I was already in, that I, yeah. I continue to be in and I'm passionate about. Um, but it, there is no sort of one size, like this is my audience. I do always make it clear. I am not a licensed therapist. I, am, I do not have a clinical background, but what I try to do is I try to provide insights, information that will lead. If you need therapy, this is kind of like, oh crap. I didn't know that this was an area or an issue, uh, case mm-hmm. in point, um, you know, me, my friends, we're all dating. Some of us are even married. 
So obviously you're you're going to be in conflict with other people that you're that you're dating and that you're living with and things like that. So um, when I use the Malcolm and Marie movie, for example, mm. use that pop culture example to talk about contempt in a relationship. Am I a relationship expert? No, but I also know what conflict looks like, and I know mm. that there's some underlying things that were happening both with Malcolm and Marie some of which maybe I've dealt with, maybe I haven't, but if I can just lead you to get the help, then I've done my part in sort of this cycle. It's like helping them with the insight part of it, right? And then it's like, and if you want to go deeper, then there's there's your path to go deeper over there, yeah. There you go. So yes, I always take some type of example that we're seeing in the media, again, going back to the original point of us always binge watching something. We're always on TikTok. What themes are emerging? You know, as psychologists, we look for patterns and behavior. So what am I seeing? What can I sort of highlight, shed light on? I think the Will Smith example was a great one for a lot of men in particular. Mm -hmm. I'm in the worst shape of my life. Yeah, I'm a multimillionaire and people all over the world know me, but you know, I kind of fell off the wagon a little bit. Who could not relate to that on some level? So am I going to be your trainer that's going to get you back in shape? No, but I can help you sort of normalize that. Yeah, we've all had a, we're coming out of a very tough year. Mm -hmm. Mental health is impacting how you feel about yourself, all of these things. So yeah, it's just guiding people, guiding people to, to solutions and, and practices to make them feel better and and Mm -hmm. lead to better lifestyle decisions. Mm. Yeah. I'm so grateful for the space you're holding because I feel like, you know, there's so many um, conversations I'm having with clients around just this wounded masculine energy. And I feel like there's so many things that it impacts um, not only like the men in our lives, but as women, I think a lot of times there are things that we are completely oblivious to Mm -hmm. that are the masculine struggle. Like I was not aware of like a lot of the body image struggles that men Um, I think Justin Baldoni was the first Mm -hmm. one to like, really for me, like be so open about like what it is for him in a way that I'd never heard a man speak to. And I sit with men as a therapist all day and they just, they don't talk to me about it. You know? Yeah. There's um, another great example I came across yesterday. I shared it with several people. Um, It was intended to be sort of a funny thread on IG, but it was asking men to sort of admit what their female traits were mm. that they may not kind of say out such loud. a loaded question right like that's a loaded question <laughs> I'm like eyebrow raised to that one <laughs> uh, you know I think so many people were but the mm. the the thing that I was seeing was that like this is beautiful because I'll give you a, a great example I'll use myself so one of the men admitted you know that when I'm at home I sit down to pee I've been doing that since I was a teenager. And I remember feeling like, oh, shoot, if like other men or women knew I did this, what would they think of me? But then overhearing my uncle tell my grandmother, his mother, that he did that too. And her saying to him, oh, honey, like, that's fine. Like, you're at home. Get comfortable. (laughs) like as as taboo of a thing that is right. you know and and just sort of the stereotype stigma things that come along with that i love when men open up about yes. stuff like that because mm-hmm. there's so many particular adolescents that are coming up trying to figure out their identity to just know like it's okay for a man in fact if you live with women they might prefer because then you're not splashing pee everywhere True. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, like those are the types of things that I try to highlight and say, okay, men are having a conversation about this. 
you know, how does this then sort of affect the greater population? And so many men, uh, women in the comments were like, these are so hilarious, keep them coming. We wanna hear more about like how men kind of act behind closed doors, you know? Yeah, I I was cringing a little bit as you gave that example, Corey, and here's why. Because I think, and you're bringing a really important um, point forward, which is that so often I think what huh, um, is a deterrent to men doing some of this healing work is often the way that they are experienced by the women who are yes. also in their wounded <laughs> feminine, right? Like, totally. I remember... <laughs> I hope my ex won't be upset that I'm outing this, but like seeing him sitting down peeing and being like, what are you doing? Why are you sitting down? Deeply shaming him. And as you were speaking to it, like I just felt such a like in my gut of like, I, I shamed him for that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think well, there's so many ways we do those things. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think for me, like anytime I'm in the bathroom, it almost becomes a moment of retreat. Like just okay, I didn't come in here with my phone. I'm in here to shower or do an Epsom salt soak. Like, I just want to retreat from the yeah. world. So, yeah, that might mean sitting down. Relax. I mean, it, it, it makes so much sense. And yet Also, I'm laughing because I'm like, in my head, I'm going, cares like well absolutely but that's what's so sad about it right because in my, I'm like who gives a shit if you stand or if you sit but we've even like the patriarchy has even infiltrated that standing is a masculine way to pay it's like oh my god like that can men relax ever anywhere know, <laughs> can you right. take a breath anywhere Jesus without being like weak or too much of a feminine you know species oh god yeah oh that's so oh Better yeah. you better teach your little boy that it's okay to sit down. <laughs> I mean, he's so proud of himself for being able to stand out that, but yes, absolutely. This is, <laughs> this is a, a big moment of like, yeah. yeah, that's really, I mean, cause I feel like so often we as women want, we want vulnerability and we want you to like, let me, let me into your world. But then how do we hold space for that when men actually do offer it? Right. And again, going back to, you know, just this whole media psychology, what are, what are the, what's being perpetuated in the right. about right. how men can show up, should show up, because all of that, I feel like is what we're really trying to dismantle right mm -hmm. now. That, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you, there was some point in your identity development in our, in, as we sort of navigate the social hierarchy that we adapted certain behaviors that are really psychologically disruptive, harmful to our, our, our well-being. And so us having conversations like this, the conversations I'm having, having you know, through Men Talking Shift are so important to just normalize things like sitting down to be mm -hmm. as silly as it sounds. Yeah. got to have a conversation about it. Wow. And I feel like I've heard, I can't remember today if it was you that was giving me an example of, was that you that was saying something about um, either a friend or a client where the the woman in, a, in this heterosexual relationship, the woman was talking about really desiring and wanting, like you were saying, vulnerability from a partner, all of these things from a partner. The partner had been doing his own work and really trying to go there and showing himself more and being more vulnerable. And then she found herself almost like in disgust of it. Right. And then being like, oh my God, this is what I wanted. And now I, and I, she didn't want to tell him. Right. But then she felt like almost this, oh, now I'm not attracted to you because you're showing this more feminine side. It's like, we're all affected by this. 
I think one of the best examples I've seen of that, even through some of my own close friendships, is like, say the man loses his job or gets mm. laid off, and you're used to him being gone all the time, and he's kind of on this schedule, but then now maybe he's home more than you. So you're you're now having to sort of grapple with like, how's his mental health, his self-esteem and thing being affected by that. But then like energy vibrations are a thing too. So if you're kind of feeling that disgust for him, then there's sort of this domino effect that happens, right? It may affect your sex life together. The kids are observing like mom and dad or, you know, mom and mom, dad and dad, like yeah. they're disconnected. All of these things sort of stem from just this one thing, this ideology, you know, about how we should show up and gender performance and all of these things mm. are being impacted. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it just speaks to how much these patriarchal wounds impact all of us so deeply, right? And yeah. it's not just um, us as women are sort of oppressed. Certainly men are deeply oppressed as we're speaking to by mm -hmm. this patriarchal, but then like it's, it's so internalized, right? Like even as like, we think this is what we want, the moment a man attempts to meet us in presence and in um, his feminine energy. And Vanessa and I talk a lot about like how we are all both masculine and feminine. Those energetics are alive in all of us. And when a man tries to like step into that healthy feminine energy, we, we're so wounded that we don't know what to do with that. I know there was another part of that thread where the one of the guys was just saying that he sometimes will scooch backwards in the bed so that she can be the big spoon. So that was sort of his admission is that mm -hmm. I don't always need or want to be the big spoon, <laughs> but not every woman can probably really yeah. embrace that. They feel, yeah. kind of, oh, no, I want you holding me. Yeah. So it's just, we have to dismantle all of that. We have to. Mm. Yeah. Be emotional. Aw, <laughs> me. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I think it speaks to a little bit of what Vanessa and I were talking about before we got on with you, which is that like, there are core energetics, although we both have both masculine mm -hmm. and feminine, um, all of us have like, what is our core energetic? Like Vanessa's core energetic might be a little bit more masculine. And I am like that more core feminine where, and that is why we're like the yin to each other's yang. But like, I need to like be able to be present enough with my partner to know like what actually is the truth of like what you feel at your core. Like, do you mm -hmm. want to be that more feminine energetic of a man and that we as a society need to like understand these dynamics more. Like nobody, we've only had like one version of like what people are allowed to be. And it is this like right. wounded masculine is what we revere as a culture and that's it. And that's just, well, and also too, you know, as we're doing this work as a society, right? Like women, I think what's happened is that, and you'll see this in the conversation around feminism, right? It's like women have done this thing where we want to be more like men. Like we think equality means being more like men, right? And so there's been so much of this embracing of the wounded masculine within the women, right? To genderize it. Um, also not healthy, right? So now we have this generation of women that actually, and I would say we're kind of the generation, I would say it was probably like my mom's generation that started it, that first wave of feminism, right? That now are struggling with how do I allow myself to be seen in my feminine? Mm -hmm. Because now even in the women, we don't want to be feminine because it's considered quote unquote, you know, unsavory or whatever word you want to use. And so in this dynamic, in this partnership, this loving partnership, it's like, am I safe enough 
to be in my feminine? Do I feel okay being in my feminine? I mean, that's the personal work I've had to do in my journey, right? Is that I don't, it feels icky to me because of how I was raised, right? So. And I think it, it also creates another, you know, layer of issues in same gender loving relationships, totally. too, right? Because now you've got sort of that double, you know, too feminine, you know, too masculine. And there's no guidebook. There's no manual right. on how to navigate those waters. So you're just figuring it out, figuring it out as you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it feels like it's, it's about like, how can we be present with like, it's so much about presence, right? Like how can we be present with one another around like what feels good and take the shame out of it? You know, I think with what you're speaking to Vanessa, like Jung spoke of that as like this, um, as we attempt to heal this patriarchal thing, what will happen is that there will be this animus, which is like the masculine in, in the female um, possession. So this animus mm-hmm. possession is like the pendulum swinging so far in the opposite direction that it's unhealthy. And I think, you know, to, to your point, Corey, like whatever is like what we identify as our core. And that is like in same sex relationships, like across the board, I think that there is going to be something that feels like my most authentic way of showing up in connection. Can we allow for it to be okay? Can we allow Mm. for this to be my truth? You know? Yeah. Okay. I want to talk a little bit, (laughs) don't know, um, about men talking shift. So, I mean, obviously we're talking about some of the things that you bring to the table, but I I want to know, I guess, like, where did that idea come from? You know, what, what does it look like out in the world? How can people kind of get involved with it? Like, just take us through men talking shift. Sure. So I tell people men talking shift was an idea before I even really knew what it was. My Mm -hmm. first sort of introduction to the world of of psychology and human behavior was in undergrad. My senior year of undergrad, I took a group counseling class. Like it wasn't a requirement, but I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And it completely changed me at my core in terms of my vulnerability and transparency Mm -hmm. with other people. And what it allowed, I was, I've always been able to connect with other men, um, straight or gay, um, in a a really organic, beautiful way. But that class, that that moment in group counseling kind of gave me a little bit more structure about how to try to ask the right questions Mm. to kind of try to crack people open a little bit in a way that they hadn't been before. And so I wanted a platform as as I continue to grow and have conversations, sometimes even strangers in an airport. I was like, this is a calling. Like I'm I'm supposed to sort of moderate and sit in these conversations in some shape or form. And so fast forward, got to LA like seven years ago and started meeting people like Brandon Alexander and Mm -hmm. others who were doing similar work. And I was like, I've got this idea, I want, this comfort level of men talking shit about whatever, mm-hmm. but I want those conversations to be transformative. And so that's mm-hmm. why the the the, sh- the shift sounds like shit. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, more, it's more intentional in that way. So yeah, the goal is really for, for men and women even, even um, mm-hmm. to have very sort of like taboo conversations, things that you might not normally say, like, you know, the thread about sitting down to pee. Mm-hmm. How can we just have that be an ongoing dialogue mm-hmm. that is that never turned off? But also I wanted to challenge men too. I wanted to, you know, there's sort of this, this stigma that men don't do 
a lot of the healing work. They don't mm-hmm. do a lot of the self-discovery work. And I find out that that's not necessarily always true. They may not be talking about it. Yeah. Finding that men are doing the, you know, the self-help. They're going to therapy more now. Um, they're trying to be more bold with their family about who they are and where they are. And so really Men Talking Shift is just a platform to give way to more of those conversations. And the vision is also to take this to the mainstream. Like mm-hmm. I would love to see Men Talking Shift become, whether it be a Netflix series or mm-hmm. some type of digital series that really is ongoing. You can bring it into your home. It may come turn into a card table game, but I want it to be that no matter where you are in the world, you can be having this level of intimacy and vulnerability in your conversations. Mm. I love hearing you talk about it because it does feel like this is a little bit of what I am supposed to do energy. Like I feel mm-hmm. very clear that like, as I'm in this zone, um, this is something I'm supposed to usher, you know, um, support. And I love that it's not just about um, supporting men and being ushered into this like revolution. It's also about, you know, I learned so much listening to these conversations and understanding men a little better in ways that they might not talk to the women in their lives about, you know. And I, I tell people all the time, if you look at our analytics, we have way more female followers than men. But I love that because mm. that, that information is going to make its way to wherever it needs to go. Yeah. You know, whether it's sharing it on your story or, you know, I saw something interesting today, you know, that you just spark up a conversation and you as women, you know, with partners and spouses, you're getting to have conversations that maybe you've never had before and mm-hmm. get, gaining some new insights. So it, it works no matter who the audience is. It's funny that the, that the, the men, you know, talking like old school stereotypes, the men are the hunter gatherers, but it seems like the women are the hunter gatherers of information. And we bring it home and we're like, here, you should look at this. (laughs) So what has, what was like this last year, like with the work that you do, Corey? Yeah. I mean, especially all of us just, you know, quarantine days. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, of course I was really interested in seeing like how people were handling loneliness. Hmm being alone and we did see there was some research that came out about you know there being an uptick in porn mm-hmm. and I did do a post on that um, again just wanting men to know that like other men are doing this right mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with you but to also just sort of sit with why am I doing this like why might I be spending more time with porn and then to know how that could potentially affect you and your intimate relationships long term mm-hmm. So that's another big piece of the work that I try to do and I've really focused in on this past year is, you know, again, looking at the mental health piece of how everything that we're doing, whether it's the job that we're on, um, the people that we're dating, like, how is that really affecting my mental health? Are there Mm -hmm. changes that I need to make? Mm -hmm. You know, just trying to point people in the right direction. So yeah, I would say the, the past year has been trying to really unpack, you know, when we're dealing with social injustice and, you know, we're dealing with COVID, um, you know, what what are the, the bigger sort of ramifications of our mental health as it relates to these things? Mm. Yeah, and that's like a whole other kind of interesting crossroads, if you will, this conversation that we're having on the masculine and feminine and then kind of overlaying that with you know, the social activism and the, and the, the rise of, um, 
I don't know if it's understanding quite yet or if it's just acknowledgement of, right? Mm -hmm. What many people have known for since the start of this country, but what people are finally just now starting to acknowledge. But there is, it does also feel like, I mean, they're not far apart, right? Like it does feel like there's some cross there in between with what you're doing, I guess, in this world of like, educating and and bringing this these conversations and this masculine feminine dynamic conversation we were just having even with that world does that feel does that feel accurate to you yeah yeah it does feel accurate yeah yeah like this this patriarchal energy that we've been talking about right and just like this dismantling that's happening and it just feels like this is all interconnected to me at one million percent agree with that i mean it's all wounded masculine energy right it's cold, withdrawn, um, reactive, narcissistic, right? Like this is what we're doing to our earth. This is what we've been doing to other human beings. We cannot be oppressing other human beings in the way that we, we have been for, for hundreds of years, unless we were disconnected from ourselves, from our Mm -hmm. center. Right. So this work of, I think healing wounded masculine energy is, is so much bigger than us on an individual level. I think it's like collective healing. Okay, I want to nerd out a little bit about the production stuff. My background is <laughs> in production. That's actually where I came from. I was in advertising you, you and marketing. Have for- very, you have very much a producer aesthetic. I don't just the headphones. <laughs> he does. I get it. I get yeah, it. I'm a producer. It's just it's the masculine energy, like Tanae said. <laughs> but I'm wondering, you know, was that does that come before? Did that come after? Like, how does that weave into the work that you're doing? So, so the short answer to that is I really thought in the undergrad that I was going to be the next sort of, you know, Al Roker, Don Lemon, like mm-hmm. newspaper. Mm-hmm. And the more newsrooms and things I was in, I was like, you know, what? I don't necessarily want to sit behind a desk and tell those types of stories every yeah. day. I think mm-hmm. there's obviously people who are very talented at that. And I think that's needed. It keeps us informed. But I was like, I actually want to be behind the scenes, like deciding what stories get to be told and how we tell those stories. So that was when sort of I got bit by the producer bug, I would say. But I also knew I wanted to tell longer form stories and more Mm -hmm. lifestyle oriented. So while I was in New York at the time, I was like, I think L.A. is where I need to be. That's where television film really goes down. Mm. And so... What I've discovered now, as I've sort of not only been producing, but writing, is that really what I was always trying to do was see myself on television, see myself perhaps represented in a way that I never had, and to really feel like my voice was being heard. Mm -hmm. That's what I was always after. And so I think that I'm getting a chance to do that both in producing and writing. So my, my web series, um, Linear Lens, is all about sort of like highlighting creatives who they've got a really dope project. Maybe they've got a short film or book or something that they're doing that's really dope, but that other people just don't know about. So it's mm-hmm. giving them that platform to kind of showcase that, talk about their creative process. Because that's the other thing. I think that we're, we're all storytellers, mm-hmm. but we sometimes sort of, get lost in how that should look and and where to get started and, you know, all the intricacies of that. So I like just opening the doors to creativity to other people um, through these media media vehicles and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But what I'm most passionate about right now, I am about, I would say three fourths complete with my first television series pilot. 
Nice. Um, and I'm really excited about that because it focuses on um, the lives of four Black men, their best friends, they've been friends, best friends since college. And the story is really about them sort of, it's emotional intimacy between Black men, which we don't mm -hmm. see hardly mm -hmm. ever. But also like, there is sort of this identity crisis, I believe, that men go through in their 30s. Mm. I'm speaking for, for, uh, through experience here as I turn 40 next year. Uh, but I do believe that, you know, we, we will say a man's a fuckboy, but why is he a fuckboy? Mm -hmm. Like, that didn't just, oh, I'm going to be a fuckboy yeah. today. Like, there have been some some childhood wounds there there have been some things that have been activated that makes him not show up that way mm -hmm. you know we there's many of us who were very successful but we're still single so what's what's that about could that be uh we were so devoted to our relationship with our mom and there's some enmeshment there and so like just trying to change the perception particularly of black men but as they're interacting with everybody, like as they're interacting with white colleagues at work, mm -hmm. you know, as they're interacting with, you know, the church community, um, you know, as perhaps they're still trying to figure out where they are in their sexual identity. We need, we've, we've never really seen the behind the scenes of that. And so I'm hoping that through my writing, through my storytelling, what we're doing with um, men talking shift, so that men know, actually, I'm that. I'm dealing with that or I went through that and I, I didn't know that that's what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I want to do with my storytelling. Oh, yes. Like, I yeah. want to watch this. <laughs> I'm like yeah. so ready for it. I'm like, when will this be done, Corey? Um, so I go ahead soon. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> um, I feel like so much of what Vanessa and I love to talk to people about is like your, your experience, your journey around mental health. Um, what do you do to like care for your mental health? What are your practices and, and things like that? Absolutely. So I am a big hiker mm. and I love every time I hike to listen to a different podcast every time mm. I hike. So I tell people, I admittedly, I, I did a lot of reading in graduate school, so I don't read as much as I would like to. <laughs> we, feel, we feel that. I'll start a book and not quite finish it, but the podcasts are really great because I can still be active, mm -hmm. but still get lots of great information. Um, so that's that's huge for my, my mental health because I tend to lean towards podcasts like this one that I'm like, it feels good. Like, mm -hmm. and I feel like I, I'm, I'm being seen and I'm being mm -hmm. heard through hearing other people's experiences. Um, so yeah, hiking is a big one. Listen to podcasts. I've gotten into affirmations. Mm -hmm. um, so not only when there's like a new moon or something, but just in general, I try to each day, whether it be with the Calm app or I have a couple of Spotify playlists to do that because everything's very mental for me. I can get mm -hmm. lost in my thoughts a lot. Um, but if I, if I have good food coming to my brain, mm. that's when I, that's when I'm at my best. Yeah. You know, keeps you so that, absolutely. It keeps me calm, keeps me just more emotionally stable. Um, so yeah, those, those are just a few of mine. I, I like love hearing <laughs> this like New York to LA journey that so much of us share when you're like the affirmations around the new moon. <laughs> That is, and I'm, and it, I'm on it too. That's why I'm saying it, right? Because yeah. there's just so many of us that have had this similar journey, like the East to West Coast thing. And 
you know, I mean, I, I was raised down South too when I was a kid until I was like six, but the New York to LA thing and, and, you know, people that have stayed in New York, the number of those people that I've been like, you know, come, come over here. Like, let's go to this sound bath. Like you have to experience this. Exactly. Exactly. I've I've been my new lately. I've been on Walk Good LA, great organization. Mm. They do Sunday yoga free. Um, every Sunday they have like 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. But that's been great because before the pandemic, I did yoga pretty regularly. Yeah. And there's something about corporate yoga outside, great music. You know, the people are all there yeah. and just wanting to be around each other and, and love on one another. It's been mm. a good yeah. Again, I think it always comes down to presence for me because yeah. as I watch you on social media, Corey, I experience you as like, a very spiritual soul. Like I'm like, oh, there's a lot of like spirituality in what he's putting out in the world. And I think, you know, clearly very intelligent, logical, and yet like what feels like the soul of what you're putting out feels very Absolutely. spiritual to me. Absolutely. Hmm. Love it's that like connection, that masculine and feminine. He's present, um, <laughs> integrated. Mm-hmm. Well, so Vanessa and I have some questions that we love to ask Rapid all fire. our guests if we can. Let's do it. All right, so Corey, tell us about who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, um, people that have influenced your journey, whether you've known them or just, you know, followed their work. Sure, so hands down, three women, both my grandmothers Mm. and mom. Um, One of my grandmothers has passed away, but just so much sage advice. Um, Her mother died when she was like four. Mm. She was raised by her dad, but because she was the oldest sibling, she pretty much raised all of the younger siblings. And so just the, I, me and my mom keep saying, we're going to do like a cookbook because not only did she teach us how to become pretty good cooks, mm. but just to, you know, embed some of her wisdom into mm. that as well. So for sure, both my, my grandmothers and my mom have been very, um, inspirational to me and continue to pour into me now um like I said going back to the podcast piece um I listen to a lot of Brene Brown Mm. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers um who else like I I'm very inspired by folks some of the the people that I post about so like Will Smith for example Mm -hmm. I love some of the hard conversations that he and Jada have had around Mm -hmm. table talk Yes. Um, I think Will is just one of those just guy next doors that whether you're the most masculine guy or not so masculine, you can just relate to him on some some level. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, those are just some of the people that I feel like have poured into me over the years. Well-rounded. I like it. Um, Okay. So the next question is, what do you do or where do you find yourself in flow? What, What gets you to that state where just like 10 hours could pass in the blink of an eye? Yeah, actually writing. Mm. Writing. Yeah, writing is that because although it took me a while to sort of sit with a lot of my truths, mm-hmm. now that I've started doing that, I can see not only how it's affecting me, but how it's affecting other people. Um, so writing is, mm. yeah, when I'm in that flow of writing, time doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing else matters when I'm pouring into my writing. Do you, is it writing in the form of like storytelling? Is it writing in the form of like journaling, all of the above? It's become all of the above. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll just go on and on journaling depending on where I am that day. And then sometimes, you know, I may be working on one script 
and something within that sparks an idea for something else. So then I go into like writing down notes for future things. And like a bit of a, a, a tangent a little bit, but for people who don't know, you know, narrative therapy is a whole branch of therapy. It's a whole arm of the therapeutic process, right? And, you know, you spoke to this a little bit earlier. It's like human beings are, are storytelling creatures, right? It's before we had written language. I mean, it's how we kept track of mm. experience, right? And um, it's how we understood one another it was through telling story. And it's how we learned lessons, right? I mean, think about all of our fairy tales. Again, before they were written down, they were passed down orally. Uh, there's something very, very healing in narrative right in, in storytelling and I think that's why that's why I'm so fascinated by this area of media psychology because it really does overlap so beautifully with this this area of psychology I was I was having a com well not a conversation it was a question that came up um, a zoom I was on earlier today with a social psychologist who works a lot with youth um, when it comes to just sexuality and gender and things like that. And I was asking him, and I would love to know from you guys too, as, as, as therapists, like, how do we better support youth who will use um, adolescent boys, for example, who might want to explore with their sexuality? They're mm -hmm. not in a place where they feel like, you know, I'm gay, but maybe they're, cur they're curious. Um, I feel like particularly with boys and men, there's not a lot of space to say be bisexual. There's not a lot of space to talk about a one-time encounter where you right. had the same sex experience. It was like, you know what, that wasn't for me. And then you move on. Right. Um, like what, what do you, when we talk, think, think about narratives um, and normalizing certain narratives, do you guys have any thoughts about that? Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm, certainly curious to hear what you would say V because I feel like everything I understand from you and you've spent a lot more time working with adolescents than I have a lot of that is shifting in this mm -hmm. younger generation right like they are just a lot more open to you know um gender non-binary concepts and like exploring like what the truth of who I, you know and that I can be so many things like I feel like they are gonna lead us a little bit in this this next evolution of who we're becoming. Um, I'm so, again, I'm so grateful to you for a lot of the conversations you're having in terms of like, um, you know, like the African-American population and like people right. of color. Like, I feel right. like if most of the population is not open to this as like an exploration in the black community, it's like a little bit like, oh my God, you know, like what yeah. year is it people? Are we serious? Yeah. Like, and so I don't know, but what do you think, Fee? Yeah, I mean, I think that, this idea of narrative therapy, what's, I guess what, what it brings up in me is, you know, this constant conversation we're having around uh, representation, right? Like seeing it and hearing it and, oh, you did that too. You experienced that too. So like, you know, if we're talking about adolescent boys, so, you know, I got curious and I was looking at like, you know, man on man porn. Does that mean I'm gay? I'm all, I have all the shame around it. But like, if I hear somebody else that I look up to, or even just peers talking about the fact that, oh yeah, I've done that too. Then all of a sudden that shame dissolves. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and it's in that representation. It's in that storytelling. It's in that hearing yourself in another person's story that you find that connection, you find that, um, that dissolving of the shame again, right? It's, you're not alone. The second you feel like you're not alone, it's almost mm -hmm. as if that shame can't survive anymore. I think right? it's our responsibility as, as storytellers, as creatives, 
to really pour out our our own truths of our right 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 i think that our the generations before us even now there are things that i know our parents experienced or did that we will probably never know about totally but to your to your point logan like i think now we're going to start to see a shift in that you know i think the work that you do is so critical because it puts words to something that like i've understood for a long time this is how we change our perception of things i remember when i saw the movie american history x it completely shifted the way like and I don't remember how old I was when that movie came out, but it shifted the way I thought about racist people forever. Like, it was like, this is so like, what is conditioned from so young in terms of your belief system actually has nothing to do with the core of who you are. And we need to find compassion and not always a popular opinion, but that movie changed me in terms of how I feel, you know? Mm -hmm. I'll say in that same vein, just for listeners who um, want more conversational think pieces like the American History X, there's a short film called Skin. Yeah, I caught it on a flight a couple of years ago, but I believe it's on Amazon Prime now. But that's another great one where you get to, again, see the conditioning piece of it from yeah. both a Black dad and a Black son and a white dad and a white mm-hmm. son. Kind of just juxtaposition their two stories together in that short yeah we watched american history x in, in college actually i was a media communications major and we we yeah. that's they showed it to us in school and i remember being horribly traumatized by that movie but yeah it totally changed similar to you it changed a lot of my lens even as a white person right of being like oh this is just ingrained like this is just what we live it's the air that we breathe absolutely yeah. You get to see like his love for his father. And this is like, his father is not a bad person. And yet this Mm -hmm. is what he is teaching him are the truths of life, right? Mm -hmm. So how would he have known any different? Mm. Uh, Yeah. On and on. (laughs) Keep going. Um, So where where were we? (laughs) Rapid fire. I lost myself. Uh, What breaks your heart, Corey? What breaks my heart most is not feeling understood. Mm-hmm. And also, like watching or observing other people not be understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And there's so many layers to that. It could be not being understood, like saying something, but then just the way it was perceived or taken in just got lost. Um, it could be just you showing up unapologetically in who you are and people still being like, I don't fuck with that. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's just. Not being understood really breaks my heart. Okay, the last one. It's a very important question. Okay. What's your favorite food? <laughs> I would have to say, I'm just gonna go with chocolate cake. Ooh. All right. Like I get down with that. We can hang out, Corey. <laughs> I mean, no, but you guys cannot share time. your chocolate cake. Today we'll fuck you up. Okay. Right. Let's just put that out there. You have to have your own chocolate cake. True <laughs> story. I was just, I think the reason for that though is like I love making food an experience. Yeah. Mm. And there's something about the presentation, the fact that it's a dessert, that you know it's gonna be sweet, that it's gonna comfort their soul. It's an experience. Way. Yeah. And chocolate cake is just an experience. See, it's so oh, soulful. I'm telling you. Cake, no. He makes chocolate cake so soulful. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I just had a spiritual experience about some chocolate cake, Corey. <laughs> 
let's be real. You have a spiritual experience every time you eat chocolate cake. Well, he just really brought it home and there's no chocolate cake in front of me. I'm not kidding. Me. I've almost been stabbed by a fork by this one before. Like, I do, do not, not share. share my desserts. Okay. Good morning. Oh, man. Um, Corey, it is just such an incredible pleasure to meet you. Um, listeners, if you do not follow Corey, um, you absolutely should. I take so much away from your content Great. and I'm just really, really grateful for what you're putting out into the world. It's such a service to all of us. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity. We have to do it again. No, we would love that. And we so can actually much. do it in person soon. The world's opening. Right? <laughs> Maybe we'll have some chocolate cake. Three different pieces. (laughs) That's it. But tell us your handle. Like, give us where people can actually find you. Yeah, it's really easy. So it's at Corey Manuel across all social. um, That's C O R E Y E M A N U E L. Uh, My website is CoreyEmanuel.com. And on TikTok, I am the official Corey Emanuel. So you can find me all across the board. Awesome. We cannot wait for this project to come out. I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be amazing. So yes. We're going to do uh, like an after show, like maybe after after pilot, you know, talk and we'll talk about all. We'll do a live. Yeah, let's do it for real. Yeah, like how Bravo does it where they actually sit around on a couch and they film it. I'm all about it. Let's do it. Do it. And we can do it in person maybe. (laughs) Awesome. All right. All right, Corey. Corey. Thank you again. It's happening. I'm so excited. Uh, We're bringing it back after high demand. We're doing our second retreat from self-abandonment to inner belonging. Yeah. I feel like this first retreat experience for both of us, I'm going to speak for both of us, was just such a potent, powerful, moving time. Um, There were just like so many beautiful breakthroughs, so many... um, you know, ways that all of the people that came to the retreat spoke to us about like things that they understood that they had never really had a way to articulate for themselves or tools that they took away from the retreat that they didn't know how much they needed in their lives. Right. Yeah. And I think if you missed the last one, right. And you weren't able to come and you're interested June 25th to June 27th, we're hosting it again. And this is really for anybody who has any kind of trouble showing up as their authentic self, right? Do you struggle with setting boundaries? Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Do you struggle with potentially numbing or hiding from your true self? Do you struggle with, I don't know, what you and I like to call some spiritual bypassing? Are you like, it could be worse or positive vibes only? Let's not think about the negative, right? Which we see so often in our culture today. Um, Are you interested in doing some shadow work, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a big thing right now. And I, I think obviously Danae and I being depth psychologists, this is a really important topic for us. So we're really excited to bring this to you all again. Please join us June 25th, June 27th. And you guys can sign up at vanessabennett.com backslash retreats. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.